0: This is C.C. Michael. You've stumbled your way into all things Alberta. This is take two. What you don't probably understand is that uh, I was 15 minutes into the show when my microphone died. And when you have technical difficulties, that's the sort of thing that happens. So here we are, take two. Maybe uh, the intro will be a little better this time. Try to improve on it. On today's show, we're going to cover a number of things. We'll probably go for almost an hour, depending on how long I have an interview coming up. Uh, What I want to cover today is uh, the COVID-19 update in Alberta. Uh, I am not the expert and I'm not going to get into things you should and should not be doing, but I am going to have a few comments with regards to some of the things I'm seeing on social media out there. Uh, I'm going to talk about uh, Alberta separation, one of the issues, one of the questions that uh, Jonah brought up after episode one that I'm going to address. I wanted to get someone smarter than me on to address the, the question, but... Uh, fact of the matter is, uh, with everything going on, I work two jobs and still trying to do a show here. At the same time, I'm having a, a little bit of, of trouble trying to connect with the, the kind of people that I want in order to answer those questions intelligently. So what I'm going to do is answer them as best I know how. Whether or not that's intelligent, uh, make up your own mind. The issue that I'm going to be dealing with today with regards to Alberta separation is going to be the landlocked issue. I think there's some uh, some, well, it's a good question. It's not like it's a dumb question. It's a good question, but I think there are some some pretty basic answers that will go a long way to helping us out. Today, I have the privilege of interviewing Pastor Jeff Jones from Grace Church of Cochrane. He's been a longtime pastor in the Calgary area. He wrote a paper. I don't know if you call it, I guess it was blogs. It was a, a three or four part blog. It's been a little while now. A three or four part blog on. The question he was answering was, is Alberta the Bible Belt of Canada? This has been kind of the assertion that, at least here in Alberta, that we've heard lots of. Uh, When I did some work out in Ontario a number of years ago, uh, there was sort of that uh, opinion being expressed from people from Ontario to me as an Albertan, as a Westerner, that uh, we're all a bunch of religious quacks out here. Don't get me wrong, I'm sure there are some, and I'm not even saying I might not be one of them. However, uh, that is an ongoing assertion that that Alberta is the Bible Belt of Canada. So Pastor Jeff did a great job of researching all of that and uh, came to a few conclusions, and I want you to stick around for what he found because I think you'll be surprised. And then finally, we're going to wrap up the show with just a couple closing remarks. So with that, let's dive in. The first thing I wanted to cover today was the COVID-19. The updates as of yesterday, I believe 3.30, was that there were 259 cases in Alberta, and so far only one death. Um, And what we've seen is is kind of a polarity of of opinion on on the COVID-19 issue. And it, it goes on the one side is that and I hear this argument, and I covered it a little bit with the uh, Vote Wexit. Eric covered it in uh, episode 12, which he subsequently pulled, but I'm going to deal with that in my closing remarks, so we'll hang around for that. Um, in, in which he asserted, and I've heard this from many people, I even heard it from Donald Trump two days ago, I believe, on CNN, when, when he brought up the idea that the, the flu numbers are far worse than the COVID numbers. And, and I thought for a president... Uh, I'm. I don't ever wanted to defend Donald Trump. I don't want to defend anything in American politics. American politics are a mess. Uh, and and so, for those of you that are Trump lovers, you're going to hate this. For those of you that hate Donald Trump, you're going to love it. But the fact of the matter is, when he brought when he brought that stat up, I was pretty disappointed. Thinking, you know, for a for a president of the United States, you should you shouldn't cherry pick your numbers which uh, that's exactly what doing that is. You're taking one set of data that uh, isn't even legitimate because you can't take a year-long number. You can't say that there's 22,000, between twenty-two and 55,000 deaths of the flu a year in, in the United States. But hey, so far, we only have 1,200 of the COVID. Well, it's not over yet. So you can't even compare them. You don't know what you're comparing. And those are cherry-picking your numbers. So regardless, uh, with, with that sort of attitude comes uh, a set of people that think this is no big deal. Uh, they even get to the point where it's all a conspiracy theory. This is just to shut down the, the, the economy in the U.S. so somebody else can take over the world or whatever. Uh, they're, they're taking it to that extreme in which they're basically dismissing the seriousness of the, of the virus. And then you've got the other side, which the sky is falling and that everyone needs to live in their mom's basement. They're not allowed to visit anyone. They should turn all the lights off because there's an environmental aspect to this whole thing. I wish I were kidding. Um, th- this, too, is ridiculous. And so somewhere in the middle, we have to think clearly. And so that's what I'm going to hopefully as I as I talk. I just want to I've got, I don't know, five or six comments that I've seen that I want to address briefly uh, regarding what I've seen. One more factoid before we get into the comments is that it appears I ran the numbers three days ago and it appears that the death rate for COVID is COVID-19. I should be more specific. COVID-19 appears to be 1.1% in the U S and about 1.12% in Canada. And so no big deal, right? Well, the problem is is that the flu has a death rate of 0.1%. So we're looking at a factor of 10. That's the issue. And that's why there's some validity to the point where people are talking about the sky is falling and we all need to live in our mom's basement and avoid each other and don't talk to each other and don't touch anything and on and on and on goes is because of that factor. It's a minimum factor of 10 from what we've seen. The other thing that we uh, know, well... Okay, the, the, the next two are unknowns, but they're best guesses, okay, from what I can find. This is an airborne disease, which is why uh, you get it by breathing in the, the virus from somebody who is, is sick with it. Which is why they're talking about having two meters separation between you and, and, and other people. And the fact that you should self-isolate. Try not to get into groups more than 10. Although some people are... Like I said, I, I just like I saw Donald Trump talk about uh, the, the numbers in one of his addresses. I saw another... I want to say he was an expert, but uh, I don't remember. But it was someone on CNN talking authoritatively that... This gentleman thought even being in groups of fives was stupid. You should be in a group of one, period. Well... Um, we do know that that it is predominantly, it looks like the science is showing it's predominantly airborne, that you breathe it in, it gets into your lungs, that's where you're in trouble. And the second is that it has, uh, the infection rate is intermediate, meaning the spread, like how easily you catch it, appears to be an intermediate. I'll be honest, I don't know what intermediate means, but I, if I remember correctly, uh, those viruses and whatnot are bacteria that are spread very difficult, uh, are in a category of very low spreadability, meaning you gotta you gotta eat ten pounds of dirt in an infected area before you might get it. Whereas uh, other viruses uh, are far more contagious. Whereas uh, simple touch, you know, touching, breathing, being in proximity, it uh, it has a long survivability rate. So a virus will will stick on a on a counter a doorknob or whatever and will stay alive for seven days so lots of opportunity for other people to come along and and get infected by it uh, that's not that's not this virus it, it is intermediate meaning that if you as far as I can tell if you breathe in the virus from somebody who is in relative close proximity that coughs or sneezes or whatever uh, and and you end up inhaling it that's how you get it so we need to be careful with, with regards to that. That's all I'm going to say about the virus itself. Uh, I've probably already given more uh, of my opinion or information that is... I'm not an epidemiologist, so, so I'm, I'm a nobody. But that's from what I can gather. That's what I know. So there is some validity to the fact that we need to keep our distance. So here's the comments that I want to briefly talk about. Uh, the first one is that our health minister in Canada who I just found out today when you look at her background um, has, has absolutely no medical uh, or scientific background whatsoever which is pretty typical for a Trudeau government. No one knows what the hell they're doing. Um, the idea was is that this isolation thing could last months. and And that's all fine and good. Except here's the problem. When you have specialists like epidemiologists declaring that we need to flatten the curve and here's what we have to do in order to do it, they have a very specific goal in mind and they haven't necessarily thought through the consequences of what that looks like with regards to every other area of life. There's a thing in science called a web. Everything touches everything else, right? And we see this in the social sciences. We see this in studies. Is You can't just... You can't just do one thing and think that it's going to not affect everything else. And it's not necessarily that that people aren't giving some sort of credence to how it's going to affect everything else, but they really don't understand the full ramifications because that's not their area of specialties. So in this example, and Doug Wilson covered this, I would suggest you go visit Doug Wilson uh, Dougwills.com, I think, uh, or if you go to blog and Mayblog, He wrote a blog, I think this morning, called something along the lines of The White House Can't Panic, and here's why. And he talks specifically about uh, the specialists versus the generalists and how the specialists, and this is my words, not his, but the specialists can't see the forest for the trees. So in this case, the epidemiologists might be right in order to flatten the curve, in order to keep the spread of the virus down we all have to live in our mom's basement for three months and not talk or, or touch or do anything with anybody what they don't understand is where the economy <coughs> pardon me the economists come in and the economists can go do you have any idea what's shutting down the u.s economy in their case in doug wilson doug wilson's from uh, idaho uh do you have any understanding what that's going to cost and have we, have we stopped and asked the simple question, can we afford it? And who's going to pay for it? This is a massive issue in which this whole idea of... It, it, it comes down to the economy versus saving lives. And no one is going to sit here and go, saving lives is dumb. We're going to have to just carry on life as normal. No one's saying that. As far as I could tell, no one's saying that. I'm certainly not saying that. But there is a question of what is it going to cost. For instance, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau has already declared $82 billion specifically laid out to help ease the uh, cost of of people losing their jobs. I believe it was three days ago, last week, 500,000 Canadians applied for EI. 500,000. That's an outrageous number. That's an outrageous number. Who's going to pay for that? And that's a legitimate question. It's not like, it's not like we can ignore that. It's going to cost. And $82 billion already on a very taxed and, and deficit spending government that we've had in power since Trudeau got in, uh, we're in trouble. We're in financial trouble. And the idea that we can sustain this for months... Is, is unrealistic. So the question is, is how do we fix it? Is there a is there a middle ground? Is there something we can do? Which brings us to, can we make the proper adjustments? Can our society, I, I know I've got a sister who is now working at home. Uh, I've got uh, a number of other people that I know have been laid off. The vast majority of people I know have been laid off. That's the unfortunate part. But I do know that those that can work from home are working from home. Is this going to be a new thing? Are we going to uh, maintain this to some degree? Are companies going to go, you know what, if you can work from home, you work from home. And from now on, you just work from home. Maybe this is a good thing in order to uh, n- not move us forward, but change the way we do things. I, I think I think our lives have changed. Uh, much like I heard someone talk about the other day, nine eleven changed our way of life significantly. And COVID-19 is about to change our way of life significantly. Do we know what that looks like yet? No. But I, I think he's right. I, I, I think it is going to come to that. Um, fact of the matter is, is the short-term costs are huge already. And that the idea that this can carry on for months... I, I, I want to say the minister said upwards of eight months... It's not sustainable. I I don't care. It's not that I don't care about lives. I do care about lives. But we cannot sustain eight months. And somebody, an economist, needs to come along and go, yeah, that's great, but we can't all live in our basements for the next eight months. It's not possible. Our Our country, our countries, the world economy cannot, cannot handle that. So that's something to think about. Second thing that I wanted to uh, to comment on is uh, the isolation versus life as normal. Now, when you're online, I know Twitter and Facebook are horrible places in order to see the goodness of people. You're not going to see it. However, it it polarizes positions, and in this case, what I've noticed is that that you've really got it really emphasizes that we have two kinds of people. We have, we have those that are introverts and those that are extroverts. Introverts, isolation sounds wonderful to them. Like, you mean I, I have to stay home and I'm by myself and I can... I mean, this is their paradise. They're in their... Oh, they love it. Then you have your extroverts. This is going to drive extroverts crazy. Now, for me, I'm somewhere in the middle. I can I can go about four days... In isolation, and I'm fine. It doesn't bother me. But day five, I start to go squirrely. Uh, and when you start to go squirrely, you, you suddenly start. Your priorities change. You start making decisions based upon uh, feeling rather than than rational and reasonable. Reasonable, sorry. And and you don't want that. It, and so there are extroverts, and I, I especially feel for the severe extroverts that just have to have people around them all the time. Like you downtown dwellers in uh, in downtown Calgary, downtown Edmonton, downtown anywhere. I don't know how you do it. I, I live in the country, and I live in the country for a reason. Uh, but... Generally speaking, you're going to get the extroverts that love being around people, love hearing the sounds of urban life, want to get out to the parks and rollerblade and and do all these other things with other people. Um, This is going to drive them crazy. And we wonder why we look out and see gatherings of people in Vancouver on the beach or in... uh, uh, various other places. I can't even uh think of them. I, I know in in Alberta there's a number. Edmonton they've got uh the river valley that's suddenly full of people. Uh, Calgary they've got uh, parks that are full of people. Uh, people are traveling out to the mountains. Um, full of people, not distancing themselves. The rest of it, and there is all kinds of vitriol for those people. And I'm not, and I'm not saying that they shouldn't be smarter. They should, but. What I find disappointing is that for those of you that find it easy to isolate yourself and to stay at home for weeks on end and, and you're living your dream, essentially, that people aren't like you. And this is very, very, very difficult for those that might be on the extrovert side that need contact with people and, and uh, are, are desperate for that contact. Um, I have seen things like just stay home, hey, stupid!s Just stay home. Uh, even Trudeau this morning uh, threatened that we're going to lay down the law if if people don't start staying home. Well, that's fine to say, but as a as an ex pastor, when I had to deal with people and their sin, it's not at all helpful for, for for me as a pastor to tell somebody who's who's crushed by sin to go stop sinning. Oh, it's that easy, right? Oh, I just, I just have to stop. Oh well, on we go then. It's not that easy. And so what I'm trying to get across is that for those of you that are extroverts that are just dying at home trying to get out, then, then this is how things go, right? So, uh, it's unfortunate. Do your best. But how about the introverts? Have some. Have some. Have some love and compassion for those that might be struggling with this. Um, All right. Well, it looks like Pastor Jeff can join me now. So we're going to try this. Let's see how. I'm not a Skype guy. So this is going to be really interesting. I'm just going to invite him now. Make a call as you can hear the music. I haven't done this in forever, so this is fun. I might have I might hang up. I'm gonna hang up. Maybe he'll call me back. Anyway, we'll continue. So that was isolation and uh, versus versus life is normal. Uh, here's one that is uh, I find it somewhat humorous and sad all at the same time. Uh, there are people losing their minds on on uh, social media because Donald Trump keeps calling the coronavirus the Chinese virus or the Wuhan virus, and people are losing their minds. And and what's funny is that. Uh, have they forgotten or do they care? I'm not sure why the vitriolic reaction, but Trump is known to be a master troll. He says that in order to troll people. It looks like we've got... Pastor Jeff.
1: Hello, I can barely hear you.
0: You can barely hear me. How about now? That's better there That's we go I'll, I'll speak into the I'll speak into the microphone how's that we are live I was just in the middle of uh, actually um, doing the show I warned people you were coming um, oh. what I haven't warned people warn them. yeah yeah I warned them you were coming so uh, what I didn't tell them uh, is that I didn't tell you the questions I have for you I basically did tell them that uh, you did a study a number of years ago. Do you remember how long ago that was?
1: Uh, well, you know what? It was long enough ago that I actually had to go back to my blog and read it again. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it says 2014, so it's about six years old. Okay. It's a, li- it's a little dated, but I still stand by the uh, the basic thesis of it.
0: Right. Okay. And and can you maybe just describe the thesis for, for our uh, viewing audience here?
1: Yeah, so my essential argument was that although Alberta has a reputation of being a Bible belt in Canada, um, and Calgary in particular has been described as the buckle of a Bible belt, uh, my, my basic thesis was that is untrue. It is instead... A, an overgeneralization from a number of different factors in the Canadian political and social conversation, uh, including um, there's some historical uh, issues there. Um, the, the, the Western Canadian tradition of populist uprisings contributed to it because many of those were led by evangelicals. Um, uh, didn't necessarily represent an evangelical voting bloc in which case, but it was evangelicals who were very socially and politically active who led a lot of those. And you combine that with Alberta's strong cultural and economic ties to the United States, the ways those, would be per- those ties would be perceived within Canada as a whole, because Canada, especially central Canada, is quite suspicious culturally of the United States. And the overwhelming um cultural influence and power of central canada with its very progressive very irreligious presuppositions just makes when they look at at a region that they think is more culturally conservative than them it's easy for them to generalize from a few active evangelicals that oh we're all a bunch of bible thumping Hicks out here so uh I hope that helps a bit.
0: Well, you you probably answered most of my questions, but we're uh, we're going to go through. I wanted to start first, Jeff. With why did you ask the question in the first place? What made you What made you uh, dig into this?
1: Yeah, So, just as background, like uh, I've been pastoring in the Calgary area since two thousand six. Um, and I very quickly realized, uh, because I'd spent a lot of time in Eastern Canada. Um, my background, um, I joined the army at 17, right out of high school. Um, went to military college in Ontario, was posted to a big army base in New Brunswick. That's where I met my wife. Uh, still got lots of ties out to Eastern Canada. And so I spent several years out there, came back, um, and, that, I think, gave me a bit of a perspective I didn't have before. And when I entered pastoral ministry in, Ca- in Calgary uh, and started developing contacts throughout southern Alberta, um, the, the perception that I began to develop at that time, and which I still have, is that uh, there's, there's not a lot of us, um, and we need all the help we can get from other regions of the world. Uh, the problem, though... Uh, what you face is uh, when it comes to church planting and mission work in Canada is that kind of the uh, the sexy places to go are the big cities Calgary would be one of them um, but places like Toronto like Montreal like Vancouver and that's not at all to deny the spiritual needs in those places uh, but my concern was that um, and Alberta in general our uh, reputation is a bible belt would serve to dissuade some folks from making evangelical missionary investments in our region when we so desperately need them, and so I wanted to do some ba- uh, some background work to kind of dismantle that myth a bit as part of a larger case for please come and help help us it's a uh, It's a Macedonian call, and that's part of the argument for it.
0: <laughs> excellent well I'm glad you did it, and I remember uh, when you wrote when you wrote those blog articles and I read through them, uh, I was not surprised at all. I was pastor at the time. So I, I, I saw what you saw. And on top of that, it's funny because I I remember going all the way back to my elementary days where I first heard that uh, I was in, uh, I went to North Elementary School in Lower Fairview in Red Deer, Alberta. We used to call it Lower Harlem. It's not exactly the uh, the uh, rich area of Red Deer, and so um, I remember hearing then th- about Alberta, and and I think at the time more specifically the Red Deer area, central Alberta, as being the Bible Belt of of uh, Canada. But th- the funny thing was is Out of all the, I had a small class. We only had about twelve or fifteen kids in our class. It wasn't a very big school, and each grade was pretty small. But out of those fifteen, let's say, I remember one being a Baptist, and I remember one uh, Jehovah's Witness, and that was it. I I didn't know anybody else in the entire class. In my class, like I certainly was, was not uh, a church-going Christian. Uh, I, I didn't grow up in a in a family that went to church, so I, I found it funny that even then, back then, as a as an elementary, uh, grade school kid, that we're in the Bible Belt yet I, I don't know very many people that are that are uh, Christian. So, um, yeah, I, I'm glad that you did the study. Do you, before we go any further, I just want to make sure where can people find this study if they want to go read it.
1: Yeah, the blog is still active. Um, so, uh, probably the simplest thing to do would be the URL is jeffreyjones.wordpress.com. So, Jeffrey, that's J E F F R E Y J O N E S, dot wordpress.com. Just go there and in the search field at the top right, I think it is, just plug in Bible Belt and it'll or Bible Buckle or something like that, and you'll get the search results right there.
0: Right. Do you remember, is it a four-part four-part blog you did?
1: Five-part series. So Five-part? as many things do with me, I tend to talk long. I tend to write long. So I started writing it, um, ran out of uh, my articles getting too long, planned a sequel, and then that turned into a three-part series, and then a guy answered my first thing, and I added another. <laughs> so it turned into a five-part series at the end of the day um so warning to those who read it it is long um but there's a fair amount of analysis in it and i don't make any i don't make any pretensions to be a professional historian or a professional political observer i'm just a guy who's been working in pastoral ministry and has been in several places in the country and i have to say my my background moving around the country and even around western canada a bit um gave me kind of a natural skepticism to the whole uh, Alberta's the Bible Belt thing. I've seen Bible Belts elsewhere uh, that were mm, a little bit more, I think, uh, coherent, cohesive than, than ours.
0: Right. So you might have touched on this already. I think you did, but but just to make sure if there's anything I missed, I, I wanted to know uh, wh- where do you think that assertion of Alberta being the Bible Belt came from in the first place?
1: I think it grew over time um and so i i think partly uh, some of the roots historically may have been that uh, um as alberta saskatchewan even bc as we were settled um we were settled by folks largely coming out of central canada um so these provinces were more heavily rural for a long time than than the more urban centers uh, in the eastern part of the country, um, people, uh, more rural populations tend to track more conservative and more religious than urban centers in general. Uh, so I think there's a little bit of that. It just demographic reasons play a bit play a part in it. Um, then political history as well. There's uh, evangelicals tend to be rather active people in community and. Uh, some of them go the political route as well and so i think you get an outsized outsized um number of of evangelicals active in the political scene anyway uh it just so happened that um the a few of those folks rose to prominence in populist uprisings in eastern uh, in western canada uh the those uh, those people in your audience who may be less familiar with Canadian political history, um, uh, the history of politics in Western Canada, and particularly Alberta, is really study in populism. Um, there's been a, there's a long-standing history of populist uprisings, especially in Alberta, um, but you know, with federal implications as well. Uh, the three uh, big ones uh, would be the. Cooperative Commonwealth Federation back I think that was the 20s and 30s, mm-hmm. which eventually merged, uh, eventually transmogrified itself into the modern New Democratic Party. Um, but it, people may be surprised to learn the NDP its its uh, roots were in a populist outri- uprising in Western Canada, and they used to be a lot more um at least socially conservative than they are now. Um, uh, and they're the famous leader who uh, in Saskatchewan who brought in a, a single-payer Medicare here in Canada was a Baptist minister named Tommy Douglas. Now, now, my theological view is that he he was a liberal Baptist minister back then, but he was still part of a general evangelical tradition. Um, so there's that. Then the social credit movement uh, followed that in Alberta and in B.C. Uh, they formed government in both B.C. and Alberta. I can't recall if they did in Saskatchewan at all. Um Uh, social credit uh, parties wound up uh, they were a fixture of the political landscape up until the 90s at least in BC and I think the last people running uh, as social credit were in the 2000s in in Alberta Uh, so they they had a long run but they formed government in Alberta under the leadership of a very interesting fellow like Bill Eberhardt. He was called Bible Bill Eberhardt for a reason. Um, he was a he was a very charismatic individual, and I said in the article in both senses of the term, not only was he a personally very uh, engaging speaker, uh, that kind of charismatic, but he was theologically charismatic, like signs, wonders, speaking in tongues, all that stuff. <laughs> um, and so he started his own little Bible school in Calgary, and he had his own Bible radio program. And he... Uh, he continued running this Bible program when he was in office as premier. So uh, uh, he's a very interesting fellow in, in Canadian political history, but he was, he was premier of Alberta for quite some time. Um, so a guy like that, um, being the leader of a province, that would have a lingering impact on people's political perceptions. Right. Uh, especially since his, uh, one of his protégés was a, a man named Ernest Manning, who became, as I recall, Alberta's longest-serving premier, um, basically succeeded Aberhart. Um, uh, basically, maybe that's not quite right. I don't remember the exact sequence of events, but uh, Ernest Manning became premier, um, ruled for a long time, uh, and uh, one of one of Alberta's uh, most impactful premiers. And his son, then um, a man named Preston Manning, wound up at the helm of the Reform Party movement, which was the third major populist uprising in Canadian in modern Canadian political history. Uh, that, that, that was a populist movement out of the West which kind of uh, captured and funneled Western alienation, which is a very old thing. That's, not yeah, it's thing not, that's not definitely not a, new. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's nothing new. Uh, the, the fundamental reasons behind it have not changed over the years. Um, and so the, back in the, uh, my first political memories, honestly, uh, growing up in the 1980s in BC, uh, was, I had, I had family members who were quite politically active. And, uh, um, I remember finding pamphlets for the reform party, uh, mailed to, to my house. Um, and so I remember reading them that kind of, uh, that probably formed me politically. For, uh, maybe uh, I've always kind of leaned
0: in. Uh, hey, Jeff, you're covering up your uh, microphone there.
1: Oh, am I? Yeah. It, oh,
0: yeah, no, it's all good. Keep going.
1: Oh, so, yeah, some of my earliest memories were these Reform Party pamphlets coming into the House, and uh, um, that was back in the late 80s. They eventually, uh, they uh, the Reform Party became so uh, influential in Western Canada um, that wound up splitting the vote, and uh, with the uh, with the reigning conservative party, which was formed uh, that they had formed the the national government at the time under Brian Mulroney. Um, essentially, what happened was that uh, Mulroney, like all con- successful conservative politicians in Canada, managed to form some kind of a of a, an alliance between Western populists and Quebec nationalists, and but keeping those two horses going in the same direction has always been extremely difficult for conservative politicians um and so uh in order to try to keep his the Quebec wing of his federation happy uh um, was giving concessions to Quebec things like uh, fighter maintenance contracts um and that greatly angered the western base out here and uh they left the progressive conservative party for the reform movement and that shattered the Progressive conserv- Conservative Party as a political force, uh, reduced them to two seats in, I think it was the 92 election. Um, and uh, so the Reform Party formed the official... Uh, well, they didn't form the official opposition the right way, but they did the next election. And the vote stayed split until uh, it, the modern Conservative Party kind of reunited those wings a little bit, uh, brought most of the Can- uh, most of the Western Canadian... Um, Uh, populists back into the conservative fold and that was uh, part of Stephen Harper's coalition for three successful uh, elections Uh, all, all that to say evangelical personalities have been at the head of populist movements here in western Canada I think people in eastern Canada have found it easy to look at those evangelical leaders and then generalize from those leaders to the regions like Western Canada, Alberta in particular, and say, okay, we're a hotbed of evangelical fervor. When in reality, it's more populism than evangelicalism driving those things. It just happened to be evangelicals at the helm because evangelicals have a theological tradition of getting involved in this stuff.
0: Right, and so I I find that uh, I, I found that your study fascinating, and and uh, give yourself some credit that it was. You might not be a scholar, but I found. I found your uh, your research and and how you laid out the arguments quite uh quite well done and uh which is why I wanted to have you on the show uh what I wanted to ask you as a pastor did you find your study to be good news or bad news uh,
1: clarifying um bad news in some ways i'd say um because the, the Bible Belt reputation has has made evangelicals in my region here in Western Canada rather complacent. Um, and as a result, I think the, the massive cultural changes that have hit all Western societies, and that includes here in Alberta, um, they I don't think evangelicals here in Western Canada to, may have been as effective as they could have been. Um, having political influence as they traditionally have in the united states that's been the case here in alberta and in western canada having that influence um kind of uh gave us a false sense of security and maybe uh contributed to some complacency and i think um in that sense the example of the loss of the loss of social conservative influence upon the broader conservative movement in canada and particularly the loss of evangelical influence on that here in canada will be a very useful lesson for evangelicals in the united states i think because there are several years behind us in this regard but i see i see evangelicals in the u.s tracking and basically it's the same sort of trajectory and pattern um so while in the long term i think it's it's good for the evangelical church in general because it's clarifying um it makes for a more um, i guess you could call it a purer church or a church that has a clearer mission uh, more clearly understands itself as something distinct from the world around it that that's a good thing uh, for our ministry. It does mean that um, we have we are rather less prepared to make the the evangelical and apologetic arguments for the rest of our culture that we we should have been. So I don't know if that helps. that that's understandable, but
0: yeah, perfectly. Uh, you know what? I it, that's uh it, it is one of those things where it's. Uh, I think it was good news, bad news, right? Uh, yeah. Great news in that it it made it very clear for uh, those evangelicals, like you said, pastors and whatnot, that they could now uh take your study and go forth and show their congregations that uh the the mission field is right outside our own doors. Uh we don't have to go anywhere uh to uh to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh the field is plenty right where we are at. So uh bad news of course is that boy wouldn't it be nice if we actually lived in the Bible belt, you know?
1: <laughs> it would be nice um but uh a larger story, uh, the larger story of church history has has tended to, you know, Christendom has always been more of an ideal than a reality.
0: Yeah, um, precisely. So. Uh, one more question before I let you go, and uh, sure. I I have not uh, just to let you people know I have not prepped uh, Pastor Jeff here at all with any of these questions. He's done very very good so far. Uh, let's see how he does with this one. This has to do directly with what's going on with our COVID nineteen virus crisis. Okay. Are churches that do not gather, or are not gathering, are they breaking Hebrews
1: 10:24? Generally, I think no, they're not yet. That's what I would say, yet. Um, I, right now, I view it as kind of comparable to, um, you know, we have an extreme blizzard, it's, it's physically unsafe to drive on the roads, um therefore let's let's cancel the services for people's physical safety. I think that's where we're at right now. Um I don't view online services as a long-term uh solution for the church, but it's it, we are blessed to have the technical means at this point in church history that we can maintain um some of the fundamental elements of the church. Uh the preaching of the word can still go out. That's one of the fundamental of the church. Um there is a form of the fellowship of the saints that can continue. Even Paul himself said that uh, his spirit could be with those who, uh, who um, he is writing to, even though he's not there in person. I think that's very meaningful, and that does have an impact on this discussion um, because we all have the one spirit, and when we're uh, we can gather virtually, uh, and the Holy Spirit can be among us. That's my conviction because of those texts. However, um, we can't. Adequately perform the ordinances as a church. It's I would see say diff, uh, baptism would be difficult and Lord's Supper would be almost impossible. And my concern <laughs> is that um, one of the results of this crisis will be that uh, various levels of government in Canada will have more power again, the and they they will. We have already seen the direction that uh our governments are going in terms of using that power um i believe that there will be more restrictions on churches going forward as a result and i hate to be kind of a a, uh debbie downer on this but that's the trajectory our culture is going and so eventually the the physical safety element of this crisis is going to pass my my concern is that if governments Try to extend that beyond what the what the actual medical situation warrants, then we could be truly in a Hebrews ten situation, and we will be forced to uh, break the law uh, in order to maintain our convictions. I, that's a long answer, um, but that's how I'm feeling right now. I don't think we're in sin yet. I don't. I think churches that have canceled like ours are right to do so, um, but. Uh, we have to continue to evaluate the situations we go.
0: It's not a long-term solution.
1: no exactly.
0: All right well Pastor Jeff, I know you're a busy guy and I uh, certainly appreciate you taking the time today and uh, uh, man, I hope to have have you on again as I, I'm trying to gather those that are smarter than me to uh, espouse on things that uh, that you're uh, for the
1: wrong <laughs> Well,
0: I don't know. That was great. So I just want to thank you for your time, Pastor, and uh, have a great week, and uh, we'll be praying for you.
1: Thank you. We need that uh, more than anything. All All right.
0: right. Thank you, sir. You bet. Bye. Well, uh, that was great. Didn't expect anything less. Uh, Pastor Jeff is one smart dude, and uh, I appreciate his time. Now, where was I? Back to. uh, Back to the COVID nineteen thing. We'll pop back there. Um, I think I was talking about Donald Trump and his uh, master trolling. Listen, uh, the only major concern I have with with any of this really, uh, we we don't need to be jerks, right? And and as I maybe I'm a jerk. I find Trump's trolling of the left hilarious. Uh, I I wish the left would figure it out. Like and maybe they have figured it out, but they don't care because it's news. I don't know what their rationale for jumping on Trump every time he uses uh, the Chinese virus or Wuhan virus or or whatever he's calling it, as a means to jump all over it and call it racist and everything else. This is my issue, is that it get it gets to a point where people are defending the Chinese government. And yeah, they're going, oh, we're not defending the Chinese government, we're defending the Chinese people. Well, where does one start and, and the other begin? Uh, the Chinese government has lied to the world. We know that. Uh, this has been an issue uh, and they hid it. They have uh, imprisoned their own doctors um, that tried to get the news out. And uh, China is not innocent in this at all so anytime someone stands up to try to um, virtue signal about about uh, calling the the virus uh, you know hurting the Chinese people's feelings uh good grief get a grip um, and and also understand that that Trump knows what he's doing he's trolling you and and just stop it don't take the bait I don't know why people take the bait it's it's just let it go. Um, there's a political aspect to the COVID-19 virus, and, uh, and and Pastor Jeff actually just touched briefly on it, and one of the major concerns, and I think it's a legitimate concern, is that that the powers that, that governments are going to take now, we're just automatically trusting that they're going to rescind those and make them go away. We'll all go back to normal once this is all over. Okay? Um, that is... And and those that bring up, well, we're concerned because the government might not do that. Uh, anyone who brings that up seems to be attacked as some conspiracy theory nut. The point of the matter is, is that it is really only recently in uh westernized cultures where we haven't had to live with the tyranny of government. The problem is, is that there are all kinds of places, maybe even majority of places in the world right now, where the tyranny of government is normal. And so we quickly grow cold to the idea that we'll experience that here. Why? We're far too sophisticated or something. Um, people are people. And especially in our country, where we have our Prime Minister, who has publicly said that he uh, he, he likes the Chinese way of government. They act quickly. They can do whatever they want in order to enact the ideology that they need to do. And they don't have to bother debating it. They don't have to bother convincing people. They don't have to bother with all that stuff because they're smarter than everyone else and they can just figure it out and implement it. Um, He's friends, uh, obviously, with Cuba. Uh, And this is no secret. So we have that prime minister in charge now who is now talking, as of this morning, about laying down the law, quite literally, with regards to people staying home. Um, this is not something that most people uh, are... <laughs> we need to tread lightly, and we need to go into things with our eyes wide open, all right? So, uh, also on the political side of things, um, I've, I've been paying more attention to uh, our, our province in Alberta... As opposed to nationally uh, across Canada, but but there's some things that I'm seeing that that is quite troublesome, and, and it is that uh, there are those both in the NDP and and um, what I would probably call NDP supporters. So I don't want to place it all on on the NDP, but between the NDP and their supporters, they are outright attacking the UCP government and, and making life miserable for the government. And one even had to retract her, uh, her Twitter statement because she basically used those words. Uh, there was another one who's a PhD, not a doctor, um, not a medical doctor, who is, uh, was using um, her platform on Twitter to uh, l- quite literally drag uh, an MLA and his wife through the mud publicly uh which isn't true like she was saying untrue things she's breaking the law and i hope that this is remembered uh she was also slapped she was supporting um the medical doctors and other medical doctors jumped on her tweet and retweeted it Uh, It got to the point where the Medical Doctors Society, I don't remember what exactly they're called, actually had to issue a statement going, this is cyberbullying, it's wrong, and we need to be better than that, stop it. Right? And so, this is the sort of playing politics that drives me crazy in a time like this. There's going to be plenty of time to rip the government once this is passed. Okay? And, And it'll lead me into the next point, which is the conspiracies. For some strange reason... Uh, Eric at voteexit.com still is—he uh, retracted uh, his last uh, episode 12, which was a conspiracy theory hoax, and he in turn uh, replaced it with another one. And I watched it, and and it's almost as painful as the first one. And again, it's it's a bunch of conspiracy uh, conspiracy theory nonsense that. <laughs> He's trying to connect dots, but the story's not over yet, and so he can't connect all the dots the way he wants, but he's certainly throwing ideas out there. Oh, just questioning. I'm just asking. Well, how about you wait until you have some facts? How about you wait until all the chips are on the table before you start connecting dots? You're connecting a bunch of dots that may or may not be there. Stop it. Can we keep our eye on the proverbial ball is what I'm asking. So... That, that is basically all I have to say about COVID-19 for now and the things that I see out there. Can we treat one another better? That's the point. Can we just get all on the same page for a little while and help one another out instead of tearing each other apart? It's pretty depressing. All right. On to the uh, second topic, which is the Alberta separation issue. So this is the idea about being landlocked. So the, the argument goes... And and I've even read it in newspapers. So the idea goes, uh, if Alberta separates, we're in more trouble than ever. Because do you think BC is going to want to negotiate with an independent Alberta? Do you think East uh, East Coast Canada is going to want to deal with an independent Alberta? You think you're screwed now. Wait till. Well, fair enough. But here's the issue. We're landlocked now. Inside Confederation, we're landlocked now. And inside Confederation, outside of sending Premier Kenny or Premier Notley at the time to beg and plead with the, the, the Canadian federal government to please, pretty please, pretty please allow us to have our ability to get our resources to market. Pretty, pretty, pretty please. We'll have a carbon tax. We'll do whatever you want in order to negotiate this. And in the end, it still didn't go through. You might want to argue TMX, the pipelines, we'll see how that goes. I think the summer is going to be, a, a uh, well, maybe COVID-19 will put a squash to all the blockades that are coming. However, the argument that I would put forward, and many others have as well, I'm not alone in this, is that this changes massively when we separate, or if we separate, okay? Okay. Um, We will be in a better bargaining position than we are now. Inside Confederation, we have zero leverage. I was going to say little leverage, but I think in the end, we've really got zero leverage. There's nothing we can do as a province inside Confederation that can solve our issues with regards to uh, approving of the tech mine or approving of any other thing that I have no idea why Ottawa has any say in it in the first place or why BC can block our... Uh, our pipelines from going through, or Quebec can block our pipelines from going to uh, New Brunswick. It makes no sense. So we're already in a pickle in Confederation. So what could change if we were out of Confederation? The argument goes like this. We have major railroads and highways that go, that connect coast to coast. They go through Alberta. And um, if we were to threaten, and that includes our airspace as well, right? If we were to threaten to close those avenues of, of transportation to the rest of Canada, so West Coast stuff can't get to the East and the East Coast stuff can't get to the West uh, because of, of uh, what we would call a national blockade, um, that is going to monetarily hurt Canada. And it's not just a little bit. It's a lot. And to the point where those private companies, especially the railway companies, the trucking companies, anything, uh, the manufacturers that that their their products aren't getting to market because they're getting blocked uh, coming through Alberta, do you think those companies are going to stand by and allow that to happen for any length of time? Not a chance. They would put pressure on the Canadian government to get a deal and get a deal done. It's not like they're dealing with unreasonable people, although maybe that's the rumor that uh, we in Alberta are unreasonable. Um, We just want what's right. And it is right that we should be able to get our stuff to market. And it's being blocked. It's being blocked ad nauseum to the point where uh, we have lost billions and billions of dollars of money in Alberta. And, and uh, not only does that hurt us, it actually it hurts Canada because uh, without that money, uh, we send less money to Ottawa, allegedly. We'll see how that goes. So the, the idea is that the Canada will negotiate, in good faith, access for our stuff to get to market, and then we, in turn, in good faith, would open up our borders to allow rail and highway and airspace to continue. This is a no-brainer. As a nation, we can do that. As a province, we cannot. And that's the only leverage we have. And it's a big stick. But we have to be a nation in order to wield that big stick. All right? The other aspect is it opens up uh, avenues for Alberta. Alberta as a nation could negotiate directly with the United States with regards to access so we can we can even bypass the gong show that is British Columbia and their eco terrorists out there, uh, or the Quebec. Uh, your oil is is too dirty for us. We like your money, just not your oil, Quebec. Uh, we can we can now individ not individually but independently as a nation, the nation of Alberta, we can negotiate directly with the U S. with regards to access. Whereas right now we have to go through the federal government, and uh, well, anytime you've got a federal government in the U.S. that doesn't get along with the federal government of Canada, um, it's Canada that ends up with the bloody nose. And trust me, uh, we have been the ones with the bloody nose. And so that's how I would answer that that simple question. Uh, if you've got any further questions with regards to what I've said or comebacks or whatever, I'm more than happy to have a discussion regarding this. Uh, please leave a note underneath the video when it's when it's uploaded. Finally, we are closing in on an hour. I'd like to get this done before the hour mark, but we'll see how it goes. Just, just closing remarks. Uh, it has to do with the last video, video number five. I'm, I'm a man of integrity, or at least I try to be, and I did say in the video that I would take it down if Vote Wexit took down their episode 12, uh, where he called it a corona hoax and global, global whatever. Um, they did take it down. Eric did take it that one down and replace it with one that was almost as bad as the first one. However, um, mine's still up. Why is it still up? The reason why it's still up is because I caught the note on Facebook, uh, votewexit.com, uh, on their Facebook page, uh, announced that they pulled, uh, the episode 12 but in the explanation i believe it was eric that probably gave the explanation is that the reason why they decided to pull it was because people were misinterpreting the title there was nothing basically his entire argument came down to uh people are too stupid to understand the point i was trying to get across and that's fine if you want to pull it for that reason that's fine uh, but it's uh, it's a dumb reason. Uh, I'm going to leave the video up to show that it wasn't that people are too stupid to understand the title or understand the dots you were trying to connect. I'm leaving my video up to show that your video was in fact stupid and that it had no place in... in <laughs> The number of people that got a hold of me going, I agree 100%. I am not into Wexit in order to espouse conspiracy theories. I have no time for that garbage. And that was the entire point of the video, going, yeah, I get it. That's why the video's there. I'm going to leave the video up because Vote Wexit and Eric did not take responsibility for the poor taste, the poor quality of the video that they put up. It has has nothing to do, guys, with the fact that the rest of us idiots can't read. We can read perfectly well. Thank you very much. It was a poorly done video, and we're not going to continue to... uh, Well, well, let me tell you this. I got a hold of, of Peter Downing on Twitter, where I challenged him outright, publicly, saying, will you distance yourself from this idiotic video? He wrote back... Uh, or or posted back. What did he do? He retweeted with the comment, and his argument was: We support all those who have uh, who who want to question government, and uh, we support free speech. <sighs> Peter, that wasn't the point. And and this is just another example of why Peter Downing is not fit to lead the Wexit Party. This is another reason why uh, the The movement is going to die if it keeps going in the direction it's going. You're feeding into the exact thing that makes us look like a bunch of uneducated hillbilly rednecks. Of which I have no problem being a hillbilly redneck, but I am not uneducated, and I'm not an idiot, and I'm not about to jump on a whole bunch of ill-thought-out, irrational uh, conspiracy theories that really should have nothing to do with the Wexit movement. My problem, Mr. Downing, is that you allow Vote Wexit that uses the Wexit name in order to promote conspiracy theories which undermines the very movement we're trying to do. This is irresponsible, and if you don't see that, then you're not the guy to lead us out, period. Um, Again, Vote Wexit, Eric uh, just released another conspiracy theory. He replaced one conspiracy theory with another. I don't know what it is with regards to... Uh, vote Wexit. I don't know Eric personally, but uh, why you are sullying or soiling the Wexit movement with with conspiracy theories is is crazy. Uh, Downing, if you're into uh, um, free speech, then how about this? Here's my conspiracy theory. See if you can go for this. Would it be great if under the Wexit banner, under the Wexit name, I decided to say, you know what? Uh, Peter Downing is a federal shill. Who is undermining the inside uh, movement of of uh, the the separatist movement in Alberta? He's actually a federal shill placed there. Is that okay? Can I can I espouse that conspiracy theory with Wexit in the title? With with you having, are you okay with that? Of course, you're not. So why would you allow something like this, a conspiracy theory guy like Eric, to continue to use the Wegsit name? I don't care if it's a third-party com. I don't care. Wegsit's in the name. It represents you to some degree. It's tying it to you, and it's tying it to the party. And if this is what the party's about, and I've already been told by plenty, if this is what the party's about, we're out. Is that what you're looking for? I would hope not. So how about you distance yourself from Vote Wexit. How about you ask Eric kindly? I have a feeling you know him personally. How about you ask him kindly to stop the silliness? All right. That's all I got today. Uh, thank you for listening. We will be in touch uh, maybe in the next couple, three days. All right. Take care. <laughs>